0: Hello and welcome to Play On, the Morgan Sports Law podcast. I'm Tom Seema, the barrister at Morgan Sports Law, and I'm joined today by my colleague, Mario flores Chamor, who sadly will soon be leaving us to take the role of Head of Legal at the European Club Association. We are very happy to today be joined by two special guests. Firstly, we're joined by Leticia de Bergio. Leticia is a lawyer at the Spanish Football Federation and previously worked for six years at FIFA's Player Status Department. Letitia has been at the RFEF since 2018, where she leads the player status department and deals with international legal matters. Second, we're joined by James Kitching. James is FIFA's Director of Football Regulatory. James was previously the Head of Sports Legal Services, Disciplinary and Governance at the Asian Football Confederation. Today, we will be discussing the recent amendments to the FIFA eligibility and chains of association rules. James, perhaps first of all, could you give us a brief introduction to the rules and a brief explanation as to why FIFA felt they had to be changed at this point?
1: Thanks for the question. Long story short, the existing rules that were in place had not undertaken any form of review or, or modernisation process since at least 2008. The history of the rules themselves are actually quite simple. You know, since at least the early nineteen nineties, there's been formal rules governing the eligibility to participate for representative teams or national teams in the FIFA statutes. Before the history of the, the relevant provisions are a little bit murky, but at least since the nineteen nineties, we have we can see that first instance. It was merely just as long as a player held nationality, they were eligible to play for the representative team of the football association. The rules evolved over time based on certain Issues that popped up from time to time, as you can imagine, uh, mm-hmm. the legislator makes a rule and, and those that are subject to the rule do their best to bend the rule as much as possible. The rules that we saw before the amendments a few weeks ago were really formed between 2004 and 2008, and they govern specific scenarios relating to in football, what we call common nationality, uh, as well as where an individual acquires a new nationality. But in the intervening 12 years, there's been a number of inquiries from associations and stakeholders over the, the meanings of certain provisions, over the interpretation of certain provisions as well, in terms of does this fit within the rule or does this not fit within the rule. So it was decided to implement a working group in the middle of 2019 to examine the rules as part of a modernisation process. That working group came up with a number of recommendations. They were sent to the Football Stakeholders Committee in, in February. The Football Stakeholders Committee subsequently endorsed the principles that were established by the working group and subsequently draft regulations were produced for the Council which following a small process of amendment were endorsed and sent to the Congress for approval and I'm very, very happy that the Congress on the 18th of September decided to refresh these rules. In that respect, uh, that's how we got from where we were to where we are now.
0: Well, thank you, James. That's a very helpful introduction for our listeners and for us as well. If we discuss eligibility, first of all, and and then the question of nationality, Article 5.2 of the rules now distinguishes between holding a nationality and being eligible to obtain a nationality. So, if I could ask you, James, what was the purpose of that change? And is there a definition of nationality for the purposes of Article 5.2?
1: Good questions again. The first thing I'll give is a a global disclaimer. Hopefully coinciding with the release of your podcast, we will also be publishing a commentary on the eligibility rules, Mm -hmm. um, which runs through each provision line by line and and explains things which might not be clear. So I'll do my best to capture what's already in the commentary when answering these questions. But if there's any discretion between what I say and what the commentary says at a later stage, the commentary prevails. Uh, Lawyer (laughs) disclaimer. But... Firstly, on nationality itself. So the rules themselves have historically referred to nationality and nationality itself, as you know, in public international law has a specific meaning. I think it was the case of Nottebund by the International Court of Justice to find nationality as a legal bond between an individual and their, their nation, their country. Generally, that legal bond is demonstrated through holding of a passport for international travel. So what... What FIFA does is through its competition regulations first, it requires proof of nationality to be provided to allow an individual to participate for a representative team in international competition. And that proof is the holding of an international passport. So we link the holding of that international passport back to, back to nationality itself. And so that's where we define uh, where we define nationality through or have the meaning of nationality as it's interpreted through our rules. Holding a nationality is something very specific so the the original FIFA language and the rules has always been that the player holds a nationality so that has been maintained in the updated rules and the distinction between holding a nationality and eligibility to hold a nationality probably this is the most requested provision that we receive inquiries about from associations prior to these prior to these changes. Is this player holding a nationality or not? Because obviously if a player holds a nationality, then they may be potentially eligible to play for the national team. What we say the distinction is, as you see in the in in the rules themselves, we say the distinction is without being required to undertake any further administrative requirements. So what we'd say there, automatically holding a nationality generally means that under national law, whether it's through the principle of jus solis, which means nationality is linked to place of birth, or jus sanguinis, nationality is linked to the nationality of your parents. Under one of those two principles, generally almost every country around the world will provide nationality automatically to an individual. The other element requires that the automatic grant of nationality does not oblige a player to undertake any further administrative requirements. So what we say are further administrative requirements in this context, certain formalities connected to childbirth before the nationality is automatically granted. In some countries, for example, you might need to register the birth to actually be considered a a national, or if you're born abroad, you might need to register at the the embassy or just send a request through. We don't consider that these formalities connected to childbirth would be considered further administrative requirements in the meaning of the rules. However, if the national law provides what we call a substantial precondition prior to the automatic grant of nationality, so for example, an individual has to abandon another nationality, there is a significant waiting period after childbirth. Some national laws say that the waiting period has to be 10 years, for example. This, in our view, would be considered a, a further administrative requirement. So, in that respect, where there's that substantial precondition that we talk about, that's what we would consider a player being eligible to obtain a nationality as opposed to holding a nationality itself.
0: Thank you, James. Letitia, how do you think that member associations, including your own, will perceive the change in the rules? On balance, do you think it's a good thing?
2: Thank you, Tom. Yes, I, indeed, I think it's a good thing on, in general, right? I mean, of course, it will depend a lot, no, between countries. I mean, and each country has its its own national regulations about acquisition of its own nationality. But it's for sure um, a good thing. I mean, in, in in Spain, for example, the Spanish nationality you can be received if, when you are born, any of your parents already have the Spanish nationality. Also, if you're born from foreign parents, but one of them was born in Spain, you, even though that parent does not have the Spanish nationality, you can also receive the Spanish nationality, like uh, you have the right to it, right? Without any further administrative, as in the, in the sense that James just explained. It's easier, I would say, from a member association perspective now. This difference that the regulations make, I say that depends on the countries, right? But for example, in Spain, this process of acquiring the nationality that w- which I just explained are quite easy and straightforward. So I don't believe we have this gap of 10 years that James explained, for example, in some countries, if you are born or if you comply with the, these two cases that I just explained, you can always ask for the nationality without uh, doing any, any further, further administrative steps. What it is a bit more complicated is the naturalization process. Again, speaking of Spain. So this involves a final decision of the government in our country. So this implies a lot more steps to be taken, more documentation to be provided, etc, right? But in the end, I think it's it's a very positive and and a and a very positive change in general.
0: I'm focusing on on the naturalization procedure in, in Spain. Mm-hmm. I was wondering is the RFEF planning on establishing or might already have established a procedure to be sure that a player has completed that naturalization process? Is there a checklist of documents that are sent out? To yeah. Check that,
2: uh... <laughs> yeah, well, actually we have. We already had before these this, this new regulations came into force. We had already started with this kind of due diligence, internal <laughs> due diligence process about the nationality of, of players, right? It's a process where the legal area, the competitions area, and the sporting director of the federation, of the Spanish Federation, participate together with the clubs where the players are playing right because they are the ones that have the closest relationship with the players with the relatives of the players etc so yeah it's a kind of a checklist exactly the kind of a form that we provide the clubs with and they they just reply with with information that we ask documents that we that may have to enclose and and yeah we could say that this is like the first step that we take, that the Spanish Football Federation takes in an eligibility process.
0: Now, Mario, James said that issues typically become apparent in regulations when lawyers start pushing around at the edges of those regulations or challenging those regulations. As a lawyer, and as someone who's obviously thought about these new regulations, what do you think are the potential grey areas or the areas for dispute or different interpretations?
3: I think that uh, James' explanation was quite clear in the sense that now for what I understand is what FIFA will analyse is whether there are further substantive steps that a player should take. For example, either prove that he has lived in the, in the country a certain time or to prove that any administrative steps is actually related to his stance. As a person let's say rather than just go and register any kind of, of paper or fill out any kind of form that they need and the key here uh, that uh, i see it's the operation of and by operation of the law and that's what is key in the, in this in this article in my view because it seems that even if it speaks about administrative procedure the steps those administrative steps have to be related to the actual a part of substantial issue not only a step that needs to be taken, as I said, in a, to, fill, to fill out form, for example, the point of being uh, born in a country but not being entitled to the nationality until a certain time has lapsed. Those would be actually a more of a substantive point of the person in a specific country rather than purely administrative steps, as the, the regulation would appear to say. So. I think that point is clear in my view that whenever you are analyzing uh, uh, the eligibility of player in order to see if it's only an entitlement to an, a nationality or already holding a nationality, the analysis should be made as to if there is any substantive steps that the player should still take or that only as it is now in that current stance, he's already holding because of the losses that he already or does. And what would be interesting to say is that I say there is a lot of, uh, I would say a gray area in this respect because what could say, well, what is a substantive step or what is only a, a fill out of form? And what would be interesting to see is if the process before the PSC, as far as I understand, the eligibility is usually not a process in itself. If I just say, well, it's the national FA that is responsible for, fee- for com- being, if this player complies, if Process related to this actually particular point, FIFA could actually clarify a bit further and to say, well, you know, I think this player is not only holding a nationality, but it's only entitled because X, Y, and Z. Let's see if, if, if of course, if that's the, the, the objective of FIFA with this provision or not really. But uh, I think there's enough gray area that could potentially entail that FIFA is a bit more, uh, and gives more clarity given the specific case.
0: Yeah, well, I suspect you'll have to wait and see the uh, clarificatory document that James has said is coming yeah, out soon. So Looking forward <laughs> to it. <laughs> okay, moving on then to the acquisition of a new nationality. Article D of the rules, which is the old five-year rule, now provides for different time limits depending on the age of the player. And it also transpires from Article 7.2 of the rules that only players between the age of 10 and 18 are obliged to submit a request for eligibility to the Players' Status Committee, the PSC. So, James, first of all, please, what is the purpose of those amendments from FIFA's perspective?
1: Sure. So now we have, in addition to the existing rule, which was the requirement to live on the territory from the age of 18 for at least five years, we have two two additional temporal requirements, as you mentioned, linked to age. 7.1D2, which is the age requirement between the age of 10 and 18, and then the subsequent requirement in 7.2 for someone making an application under that requirement to go to the Player Status Committee. That is the codification of an existing unwritten rule. So there was always an unwritten exception. Well, not always, I'll say but there was an unwritten exception to the existing 71D in the FIFA rules, where a player that had lived on a territory for at least five years before turning 23 could demonstrate that the move to the territory was not for the purposes of participating for representative team football, could seek a, an exception to 71D uh, of the existing FIFA, or the previous FIFA rules, I should say. So that is a codification of the jurisprudence, provide legal certainty to stakeholders. It was an unwritten exception which wasn't known to many associations and may have been utilised if possible. So this provides that clarity there. The time limit and the age restriction for a player that begins living on the territory before the age of 10 or three years, this is considered in the context of someone that moves before the age of 10, with or without their family, but obviously always usually with their family, to a territory is generally not going to be doing so for the purpose of playing for the representative teams of an association. And as such, a three-year requirement of continuous living on the territory, I should say, is deemed suitable. When you take into consideration actually in that respect as well that representative team football, at least in official competitions, doesn't generally start in federations anyway until under 15 or under 16 level. And we don't deem that it's necessary for someone that's moved that young to have to go through an administrative process because of the, the unlikelihood that, that that move was for football reasons as opposed to real-life reasons, I would say.
0: And following up on that, I can, I can quite see why FIFA's view is that players under the age of 10 shouldn't need to go through that PSC administrative process for the reasons you've just explained. What about players above the age of 18? Cause from my understanding of the rules, they also don't have to submit a request to the PSC.
1: That's right. So, again, this is the existing rule. And quite simply, there, when the, when the player is an adult, the responsibility is on the association to undertake its due diligence to ensure that the player is eligible to participate for its representative teams. It depends on the time for when the player actually began living on the territory as well. So, it's not necessarily, as you say, if a player is over 18 not having to go to the player status committee there may be a a situation where an application is made for a player that began living on the territory between the age of 10 and 18 at a later stage so just on that particular point again for the players that came as an adult to a territory it is the responsibility of the association ultimately to determine whether a player is eligible to participate for its representative teams
0: and if a player doesn't submit an administrative request, will that make them ineligible to play for the relevant association, even if they do, in fact, comply with the requirements of Article 7.1.D?
1: D2, yes, exactly.
0: And, Letitia, mm-hmm. from your perspective, do you think that the amended acquisition of new nationality regime could lead to any uncertainty as to which players are eligible to represent a national team? Or do you think that it's all sufficiently certain?
2: Well, first of all, thank you, James, for that, because I was really looking forward to listening to you in in this regard, because I also think this article is very related with, with Article 19 of the regulations of the status and transfer of players, right? I mean, where uh, players under 10 do not have to, to or, or can do not have to request a, an ITC and players over 18 of course are not already minors so they can <laughs> move freely so thank you for that because I was I was uh, really curious and as to your question Tom so I don't know if I would call it uncertainty I think it's it's quite clear even I mean it's even clearer what, what I think it is is it's a bit of an, of, an, of an add-on of items to the checklist of eligibility factors right, as well as to the process of eligibility, which is already maybe quite cumbersome. I think it would help quite a lot if, if at least FIFA could explain or define what a request for eligibility consists in, because it, it's a procedure or process right that's uh, not really defined along the along the regulations. there's always being a bit of uh, uncertainty in that regard. Speaking of processes, I mean, administrative process, if this article with it gives uncertainty as to which players are eligible, I don't think so. I think more the contrary. I think it, it, it clears a lot the, the path, right? But anyway, I think we also we have to wait for the practical application, right, of this article and see whether this purpose is, is really met.
1: If I can jump in there, sorry, I'll just say as well that yes, Leti is absolutely right. There has been a I would say, avoid in the past when it comes to processes relating to eligibility decisions of FIFA. We're also in the process now of updating procedural rules for what we now call a request for eligibility on the one hand or a change of association on the other hand. So hopefully we'll be able to send those out soon.
2: Great. That from a member association perspective, it's really it's going to be really welcome.
0: <laughs> Mario. Do, do you agree with Letitia? Do you, do you see no uncertainty there, any certainty?
2: Actually, Letitia <laughs>
0: took,
3: the, took the comment from my mind because I was actually thinking about the relation between and if there was any between this uh, new Article uh, 72 and 3 and 1 and, and the, the minor provisions, and I think the, the, the relation is clear. What I was thinking also, though, it's, it's about this living in the territory, that now there's also further clarification in respect of when the living in a territory is interrupted and when it's not. And I think this would also give a bit of grounds to actually challenge a potential specific case or to argue a specific set of facts.
1: It's a really good point by Mario and previously the the wording of the regulation required uh, continuous living on the territory. Now it just says lived on the territory of the relevant association and along with holding the nationality this was the other phrase in the regulations which caused the most consternation for our associations. What does living continuously mean? What does living mean? Does it mean residents, physical residents, fiscal residents? There was a lot of, I would say, creative and constructive ways that associations tried to tie in a, a player living to a territory. So that why, that's why it was necessary for us to, to make that definition and to also make a link between what are permissible absences from a territory and also what are non-permissible absences. We limit it to a period of physical presence. And notwithstanding the the permissible absences, we we set a hard deadline for the minimum amount of days that are required to be spent on the territory to be considered to have lived there for a full year. That was 193 days. And that is generally in line with residence laws around the world which basically say someone is a resident in this country for a period of a year if they spend more than 6 months in the country so although it's not directly referencing any national laws of course but that's the that was the the logic that went into developing that particular provision which and to be fair the the, the matters which Mario raised about football off-season holidays absences for personal reasons these were again also matters which FIFA would take into account when asked by associations, is my player resident or not? But they were in an unwritten way. And so that's why it was important for us also to provide some certainty there for, for stakeholders. And I'm looking at the commentary draft now while, while giving, uh, giving this explanation. And this is a pretty long section, so I hope Leti will be happy with uh, <laughs> what we produce on, on this part.
2: Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. But also in in this in the drafting of of this of this of this article, right? It doesn't seem to be relevant. I don't know, James, if if I am wrong in this interpretation, but it does not appear to be relevant that this period of time of physical presence, no, or living in a territory, as as it's established, that this period is the last. So these three or five years are the last three or five years, right? Mm-hmm.
1: Am I wrong it's good, or it's that's, that's a good question it was it's one which is also uh, in the commentary and in our view it doesn't need to be if a player meets the relevant requirements at any stage then potentially they are eligible you know we we had actually a situation involving a player that asked us this exact question about a week ago so um, so that's why I can be confident in giving you the answer because the player had done his 5 years in one territory mm. had got the nationality uh, but then Transferred to another club somewhere else so the question from the association of his former club was is this potentially a case where we can still call up the player so that will also be covered Uh, i'll double check to make sure we 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 definitely keep that in our commentary for you
2: thank you james
0: yes thank you james and we look forward to seeing the commentary when it's finalized let's move on now to changes of association and If I could ask James, first of all, to continue this structure, in general terms, what's changed there under the
1: new rules? Those who are not familiar with rules would generally know that in football, the rule is once you've played for the senior national team of an association, you cannot change association to play for another country, for another football association in in representative team football. There used to be, uh, well, there still is, um, but the, under the previous rules, the exception was that a player was able to change association even if they had played for the representative teams of another association except the A-team. and um, If at the time of their first match for their current team, they were a, a dual or multiple national, so they had, they had the nationality of the association that they wished to, to represent. That's still reflected in the... Article 9.2a, that's the existing exception which allows the player to change association to another association uh, despite having already played or been fielded, as the words we use technically, been fielded in a a match in an official competition. And just to clarify, an official competition for the purposes of the FIFA statutes is a a competition organised by a confederation or FIFA. So that existing exception allowing a player to change association is, is still there in Article 92 Now what we have done is we've introduced a number of other limited exceptions. The first one is, is the exact opposite of the case that I've, I've spoken to you about which is where a player plays in an official competition for one association but he's not a dual national or she's not a dual national or multiple national at the time of uh, their first match. We now provide an exception in our rules where as long as the player's last match in an official competition in any kind of football for their current association was before they had turned 21 years old and they meet any of the requirements provided in Article 6, which covers common nationality, or Article 7, which reco- covers uh, acquired nationality, uh, then they would be eligible to change association. In, in that respect, here is a case of a player acquiring a new nationality generally, as opposed to a player, like I said before, not being a dual national. The second exception is an exception which permits a player in very, very limited circumstances to change their association where they've played in an official competition at a level. So you recall that the general premise of the rules is once you play it at senior international level in any kind of football, so that's football, futsal, foot, beach soccer, your sporting nationality is tied to the association that you have. Represented. In this case, we will allow a player to change association to another despite having played at an international level with some very limited restrictions. So the first time they played at international level in an official competition in any kind of football, they were again a dual national. So they held they held the nationality of the association they wished to represent. Their last match for their current association in an official competition, in any kind of football. They could not have turned 21 years old, so they have to be below 21 years old. At A-level, they must have played no more than three matches, whether that's in an official competition or a non-official competition, so friendly matches or a regional tournament, etc. Uh, there's a waiting period of, of three years from their last match at, at A-level uh, until they are permitted to change association, whether that last match was in an official competition or a friendly. And also that player never participated in the FIFA World Cup at A-level for their association or what we call the final tournament of a confederation competition. And, And just to clarify that, because like I said at the top, associations are asking us questions to try and bend the rules already. We've clarified that the final tournament of a confederation competition means the premier tournament. So, for example, in Europe, we're looking at the Euro both men and women, we're not looking at Nations League, similarly in, in CONCACAF and, and other confederations that might have a, another confederation competition. So here when we look at, I think it's paragraph number 6 of 9.2c, confederation competition means the, the premier competition. The next exception we introduced was the codification of an existing unwritten exception. It's sort of commonly known as the Kosovo rule. Um, so basically, players who may hold the nationality of, of a country which is not a FIFA member, or that country uh, becomes accepted internationally and joins FIFA, and they are then eligible to, to take the nationality of that country on the basis of their, of their heritage. This provides uh, a pathway and a codified pathway for, for players to actually represent that association. So here, If a player has played football already for for one FA in an official competition before the federation they wish to represent has joined FIFA, they must meet one of two requirements. First is that they either held the nationality of the association that has just joined FIFA membership, or in the second case, like I mentioned, where that is a new country and is also a new FIFA member, They obtain the nationality of that association as what we say is reasonably practicable after the country was recognised by the majority of the members of the UN. So in effect, it's a a recognised uh, sovereign state. And finally, also that they meet one of the requirements in Article 6, common nationality or Article 7, acquisition of nationality. So those requirements in Article 6 and 7 are requirements which demonstrate a genuine link between the player and, and the relevant uh, association in its territory, and they refer to either birth on that territory, birth of parents, or birth of grandparents, or that the player, as we just discussed before, spent five years a substantial amount of time on that territory. The final one, which has been added to the rules, is Article 9.5, and this is a, an interesting situation which we saw a couple of times and which has been raised by a couple of associations where under the previous rules, a player was permitted to change association only once. That limitation also exists in these rules. What we see here is one additional opportunity for a player to change the football association whose teams they wish to play for. And that's in the case where a player that has previously changed their association, but never been called up by that new association, be technical here, but they were never fielded in a match official or unofficial in any kind of football by the new association, that player has an opportunity to revert back to the previous football association that they were registered for as as, as for their sporting nationality. The only restriction that is placed there in addition to the requirement that they weren't fielded in any match for the new association was that they had to have continuously held the nationality of the former association during that time so they can still demonstrate that genuine link to the old association by holding its nationality. So all of the cases that we've just talked about were either codifications of existing unwritten jurisprudence or we've seen significant hardship in the past in cases that have been brought before our our player status committee. And so in that case we've provided some limited exceptions to the general rule that change of association is, is only permitted in certain circumstances and we've added to those certain circumstances but as you can see and as I've explained, they're extremely limited. You have to jump through quite a lot of hoops and, and that also assists in providing some comfort that we don't see a, a rise of abusive nationality shopping effectively, which is what we want to avoid obviously when regulating sporting nationality. So. That was a long explanation. I'll throw it back to you. <laughs> I hope I was relatively clear. But, you know, that these, these are the rules that have been adopted as of uh, three weeks ago uh, at the time of recording. We'll explain them more as the commentary comes out. We've already had at least two applications under the new rules already for a change of association. One has been granted. One has been rejected. There's another two in the pipeline as well. So already we're seeing associations utilising the new rules and the new exceptions, uh, uh, you know, as they are intended to be used.
0: Thank you, James. That was very clear and very helpful. Sadly, that's all we have time for today. So we'll wrap it up there. Thank you to Letitia and James for joining us and for giving us their insights as to the changes. For analysis and articles on football law more generally, please go to our website, morgansl.com. If you're interested in signing up to our mailing list, or if there are any topics that you would like to see addressed in a future podcast, please email us at podcasts at morgansl.com. Finally, please connect with us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook for articles, updates, and news pieces. We hope that you've enjoyed listening and that you'll join us for future episodes of PlayOff.